0: The title of my message this morning is The Christmas Purpose, The Christmas Purpose. If you have your Bibles, you can turn into it, Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, I'll be there in a little bit, Isaiah chapter 9, and I want to talk about Christmas's purpose. A teacher did a survey with 40 of his students, and he used Christmas word associations, and they came up words like tree, holly, mistletoe, gifts, and so on. And the interesting thing is not one of them said the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way our country's going today, isn't it? It's becoming more secular, more secular, and it kind of breaks your heart. Every now and then there's a few people who stick Christmas in there and say something about the Lord. And I'm grateful for that. Stationery shop said this, had a note on the window, sorry, all out of Christmas cards. Only religious cards left. (laughs) Have no idea what Christmas is even about, do they? Most believers today, they decry or they object to Christmas's pagans' roots. And we understand that. That day and so on back then, but we know that a lot of believers didn't want to worship pagans, so they created their own day they could worship Christ, and so they began to change it around. It actually didn't become popular until the late 1880s to early 1900s uh, to worship on Christmas. Now, as believers, we know that Christ was not born on December 25th, we understand that, and uh, uh, we From study, we believe that though he wasn't born on December 25th, he was conceived in late December. And you can use uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias and his work in the temple, and you can date that. And so we understand that too. But I agree with uh, uh, Dr. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. He said, I'm just glad that sometimes some people focus on Jesus Christ, regardless of what it is. And uh, I kind of agree with that. Some people object to Christmas's commercialism, and it does get out of hand sometimes. Uh, I've been guilty of that. I just love chiring kids. I always use Christmas as a means to try to help my kids, and uh, that's a good thing, I hope, anyway. But sometimes we overspend, don't we? Anybody overspend this year? Nobody? Like the little girl was praying the Lord's Prayer. And she said, and forgive us us our Christmases. <laughs> sometimes we get over indebted into what we're trying to do sometimes. Most know about Mary, the angel Gabriel, Joseph, Caesar's taxation, the journey to Bethlehem, the end, the no vacancy, the stable, the trough, the animals. Jesus' birth, the shepherds' and angels' announcements. Most people know about those things. So I don't, I'm not going to talk about those things, but I want to talk about the purpose of Christmas, why you would even celebrate it. And there are three words, very, very simple. Three words and, uh, or three things I want to share with you this morning. The cradle, the cross, the crown. The cradle, the cross, the crown. The cradle, the cross, the crown. Okay? Those very simple words there. And I want to talk about that this morning. I find it in two places in Scripture. The first place is Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The first thing we see is the cradle. Notice he says in that verse there, for unto us a child is born. Of course, we know Jesus Christ was that child that was born, born of a virgin. In chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah said that he would be virgin born. It would be a m- miracle and that he would be born in Bethlehem. Well, uh, it states in Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-two. How long will thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? Now get this. For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Now wait a minute. That's been going on all the time. But the new thing is, she would have a child without a man. She would have a child by way of virgin birth. God became flesh. God supernaturally prepared a body of flesh and blood outside of Mary. Uh, That flesh and blood was sinless, had no blemishes. It didn't have Adam's sin gene in order so it wouldn't pass off to Jesus, of course. And God created this flesh and blood in a seed, where the Holy Spirit took that seed, supernaturally placed that seed in Mary's womb to grow and naturally develop. It was a miracle of God. And when he did that, at that precise moment, Christ's human nature connected, fused together with his divine nature. Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. Uh, Later on, it says in Colossians 2 9 that uh, in him dwelleth the Godhead bodily. He never laid aside his deity. Never, ever. He always was God, the God man. Amen? So we see the cradle. Then 33 years later, we see the cross, the cradle to the cross. And it states in that verse, unto us a son is given. Now, a child was born, but now a son is given. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we know that he went to the cross. And there he went for our sins and was buried and rose for our justification. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On that cross, he took our place. We deserved the cross and death and punishment for our sins. But he says, no. Let me do it for you. He took our place. He paid the debt of our sin. And he died to redeem us. And when he was on the cross, just before he died, he said, it is finished. Salvation's plan has been completed. Everything necessary... Every sacrifice, everything necessary to save one who will believe has been done and accomplished. Man doesn't have to do any work one iota. All man needs to do is believe. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died for my sins. I believe they buried him. And I also believe he rose from the grave three days later. He's alive. I believe that with all my heart. He did that for me. Not just the world, he did it for me. That's when you come to your heart, when you say it's for me. Amen? And I'm grateful that God has done that. There's a story that's been told at the end of, billion, at the end of time, billions of people, and this is a little thing I cut out of the paper, I thought it was good, at the end of time, billions of people were scattered on the great plain before God's throne. Some of the groups near the front talked heatedly, not with proper shame before God's throne, but with embittered bellerings. How can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? snapped the brunette, jerking back a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration concentration camp, we endured terror, beatings, torture, and death. In another group, a black man lowered his collar. What about this? He demanded showing the rope burns, lynched for no crime but being black. We've suffocated in slave ships, been taken away from loved ones, and toiled till only death gave release. Hundreds of such groups were visible across the plains. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and the suffering he permitted in this world. How lucky he was, they all agreed, able to live in heaven with all the sweetness of light without weeping, fear, hunger, hatred. Indeed, what does God know about man? What does he know about being forced to endure trials of life? After all, God leads a pretty sheltered life. So each group sent a leader, chosen because he had suffered the most. There was a Jew, a black, an untouchable from India, a person who was uh, illegitimate, a person from Hiroshima, the Gulag veteran, and others who had tasted life's bitterest. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather simple. Before God would be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. But because he was God, they set certain safeguards to be sure he would not use his divine powers to help himself. Let him be a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be questioned. Let him champion a cause so just but so radical it brings up on him the hate, the condemnation, the destructive attacks of political and religious authorities. Let him be betrayed, forsaken by his dearest friends. Let him be indicted on false charges, charges tried before a prejudiced jury, convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him see what it is to be terribly alone and completely abandoned by every living thing. Let him be tortured. Let him die. Let him, his death be humiliated. Let it take place just with common criminals while he is jeered at and mocked and spit on. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the great throng of people. But suddenly, after the last one had finished pronouncing sentence on God, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved, for suddenly they all recognized the stark reality. Reality. God had already served his sentence. Amen? Amen. God had already served it. He had a right to be judged. And he went through all of that just for us. There's the cradle, there's the cross, and then there's the crown. 9-6 says this here. Isaiah 9-6, it states in the middle of that verse, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That means when he's in charge, when he's in control. We know from studying that when he returns, he will rule and reign and sit on David's throne with a crown. Amen? I like that song, Crown Him with many. Thank God that one day that will happen. Hebrews 1.8 says this here, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, he calls the Son God and he has a throne, is forever and ever and a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And then Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy 6.15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? I really believe that Christ will have a throne on earth and he will have a throne in heaven and he will be the head of the body of Christ on that throne one day. When as king he rules, it states in Isaiah 9, 6 again, and his name shall be called. What? His name shall be called. In the Bible, a name describes what a person is. Whatever that name is, it gives a definition of that person's character. For instance, like Jacob. Jacob means... Schemer, deceiver. Thank God he had an encounter with God. God changed it to Israel, prince of God. Amen? And then when you mention the name of Jesus, what does Jesus mean? Salvation. What does Christ mean? The anointed one, the Messiah. So names show and reveal the person's character. And it states in that verse right there, right off the bat, his name is, what? Wonderful. Wonderful. That right there tells me he helps create excitement in our lives. He's wonderful. Do you know it's great to be a believer? Sometimes it's good just to step back and look at before and after And you can really begin to see a real chasm, a real difference there. After becoming a believer, we have a change of life. We have a change of thinking. We have a change of priorities. We have a change of future. We're going to heaven, not hell now. And so uh, it's an exciting thing. Our God is awesome. He's exciting. He's astonishing. He's incredible. He's wonderful. Amen? That name tells a little bit about him. And then in 9.6, it states counselor. Counselor. That means he helps with the decisions in our life. You know, God's given us everything that pertains unto life and godliness in his word. He tells us that in 2 Peter 1.3, I believe it is. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You see, he's our counselor. He has the answers for ourself, for our mates, for our children, for our job, for our health. What his will is, he has all those answers. And by the way, it's time to stop going everywhere else for answers. Uh, We go to people's opinions, psychologists, psychiatrists, the analysts, astrology, the media, academia. Let me just say this real simple. Only God gives us absolute truth. Only God gives us absolute answers. He's the only one who can answer, who am I? I mean, why am I here? Is there a God? What's my purpose? What's my need? Who do I marry? Some of you should have listened. And I'm kidding. (laughs) How do do I solve problems? How do I solve problems? God has the answer because he's counselor. Not only that, 9-6. He states, his name is the mighty God. There he helps us with the demands of life. Not only does he tell us what to do, but he also empowers us to do it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's there in our trials. He's there in our temptations. He's there when the demands of life pressure us down. Whether it's a parent, a partner, a job, he's there and he is mighty. Hebrews eleven three says, "Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. His power is he spoke everything that had no beginning into existence. That's how great he is." And he says in Colossians 1, 17 18, it was Jesus Christ who created the worlds, and it's Jesus Christ who holds the worlds together. If he didn't hold them, everything would blast apart. And so here he is, he's mighty, and he's ready to help us. We need to lean on him. He can turn something bad into something good because he's mighty. And if you have a hard time understanding that, just... Just remember Joseph. Joseph in a pit, then sold into slavery, accused of adultery, thrown into prison. On and on it goes. And yet he ends up being the second most powerful person in the nation of Egypt. How could that be? Mighty God. He brought it all about to save a people, and create a nation himself. Then notice, if you would, verse 6 again. He says, the everlasting Father. There he helps us by us always knowing he will be there for us. He's eternal. He's forever. He's ceaseless. He's endless. He's never changing. He's alpha, omega, first last, author, finisher. And because he's all of that, that should give us as one of his children stability. I don't have to worry about him wavering. I don't have to worry about him not being there. He's endless. He's eternal. He's everlasting. Amen? Can I get an amen just for fun? Just get used to it, okay? Philippians 1, 6 says this here, being confident of this very thing, that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, saved you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He said, listen, those he foreknew, he called, those he called, he justified, and already in his mind, he's already glorified us. And because he's eternal, he can do that. Because he's mighty, he can do that for us. And he added the everlasting Father. Well, that means he cares. He provides. He's intimate. He's family. He's our Father. And we can go to him. What a blessing that is. And then he say, it states in verse 6, he's the, his name is the Prince of Peace. There he helps to calm our fears and anxieties. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That's what God wants us to do. Paul said it, that the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Today we're living in an upside, up, what? Upending world of crises today. We look around and everything seems like it's falling apart in our country, in our world, and we know that. But in the midst of all of it, we can have peace. And the reason we can have peace is because we have Jesus. He's our peace. He's our calmness. And because of that, we will not be overwhelmed, even though we watch the Colts play on TV. We'll not be overwhelmed. Amen? When the trials hit. The challenges, the difficulties, the suffering, the sorrow. Because with him, we have peace. I was looking on uh, Facebook and so on, and my good friend Charles Chapman, he went home to be with the Lord because of COVID uh, a year ago. They just had the anniversary. And I've watched some of the posts from Faye, his wife, and some of the kids and how hard it's been. And at at the first, you could just sense the feelings, the emotions, the hurt, the loneliness. And you could feel all that. But as I've gone throughout this year, I've seen God working in their hearts. Even though it's still difficult and it still hurts, I've seen a grace there. I've seen a strength there in their purpose to live for Christ the rest of the way still. And I believe it's God who's giving them the peace that's necessary for them. Now the question is, I've asked this before, what gave Mary her song that first Christmas? What gave her that song? Well, we know is because she knew that she would be the vessel that would inhabit God's presence. The presence of God only was in the tabernacle or it would move up on a certain one that had been called by God to do something, leave. She was going to tabernacle God herself. Ephesians 3.17 says of us that Christ may dwell where in your hearts by faith and that you be rooted and grounded in love. Just think about that. Christ in you the hope of glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, in our body. We have this unspeakable gift inside of us, wonderful, inside of us, counselor, inside of us, mighty God, inside of us, everlasting Father, inside of us, Prince of Peace. Christ is all those things and more. Amen. The parallel verse is Luke 2:11. I'm about done. Luke 2:11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior which is Christ the Lord. Now look at that verse right there. You see the cradle? For unto you is born this day. There's the cradle. The cross. A savior. And the crown which is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the coming king of kings. So you see the cradle, the cross, and the crown together there. And I wonder what most of the people were doing when, they, when it was announced that Jesus would be born. Think about Elizabeth in Luke 1.43. And whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She calls him Lord there. She's referring to Mary coming with the Lord, being in her womb. She says, Lord. John the Baptist, in chapter 1, verse 44, for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation, Mary, sounded in my ears, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in my womb for joy. Don't tell me babies are not human beings inside the womb. Amen? Amen. Lord, joy. And then there's Mary in verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify, who? The Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. That tells me Mary needed a Savior also because she was a sinner also, But she called him Lord. The angels, Luke 2, 10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Do you know that he is Lord? And we should be surrendered to him. Paul said it this way in Romans ten nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, who? The Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's a recognizing of submission that this God, he is Lord. He's, he's above all. And I yield to him. He states in chapter 14, verse 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. And then after that great passage, he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, took up on him the form of a servant and death, even the cross and so on. And then after he rises there, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Christ, and given him there a name which is above every name, that at the knee at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Every knee should bow, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And that early Christmas, those people were acknowledging the supernaturalness of the birth of this coming Savior. And I say to you today, the purpose, the reason he came, he was born in a cradle, but he went to a cross. He arose, ascended to heaven, but one day he's going to return and he'll have a crown on Amen? And when you have Christmas this year, just remember... Something about him. I love getting together as family. I love the Christmas tree, the lights, the gifts. I love the food. of it is a little bit too much, but I, I love all the food. I love all that. But somewhere along the line, we need to stop and just remember the purpose, the reason he even came. He is somebody special. He's wonderful, and on and on it goes. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for Christ, for him coming to this world, for him dying on a cross, for him rising from the grave. And one day, we will crown him Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I'm looking forward to that day that he will finally receive what he so deservingly deserves. And I just pray that all of us here today, that this Christmas we will know without a shadow of doubt we're one of yours because we ask you to be our Savior because we believed in the gospel. We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you is our prayer.